episode of Mormon Discussion. My name is Bill Real. I'm your host of this podcast. You can email me at r-e-e-l-m-o-r-m-o-n at gmail.com. That's realmormon at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook at LDS Leadership Principles. You can also find this podcast at mormondiscussion.podbean.com or on iTunes. We've talked over the last few weeks, we've had four podcasts that discuss the doctrine of Christ. And the main thing that it kind of focuses on is the grace of Jesus Christ. And so today I thought we would summarize those podcasts on the doctrine of Christ, but also just talk about grace a little bit, and for me, what it is and what it isn't. And so I hope that as we kind of go over some of these uh, thoughts and ideas that I have, that uh, it might give you a new perspective on grace. I will also include all of the talks in scriptures that I get my thoughts from uh, with this podcast, and so you may want to look those up. But essentially, the way we have to kind of start out is this. Most Latter-day Saints uh, will take a wrong misinterpretation of 2 Nephi chapter five or 25, verse 23, which we know um, says essentially that we are saved by grace after all we can do. And many Latter-day Saints walk away from that scripture feeling like the only way they can get back to Heavenly Father is if they do everything within their own power to save themselves. And then where they fall short between that mark and perfection then Christ's grace will come in at the end and fill in the gap. This also gets kind of further twisted by the LDS Bible Dictionary. And many before, as I say that, many of you are going to be like, oh, he is criticizing the Bible Dictionary. Well, the Bible Dictionary in the very beginning says for itself that it is not binding on the church, that it is not doctrine, that it is there to assist us. And so I'm going to share my opinion and that is that the Bible Dictionary gets it wrong. Because it makes the the comment that we must first expend our own best efforts before we can have access to grace that will save us and exalt us. And the trouble with that is, if I asked you if you could have stayed up ten more minutes last night and baked another loaf of bread for the widows and the orphans in your ward or community, you could you would obviously be able to say, yeah, I could have done that, but I didn't, I went to bed. And so each and every day, every single one of us falls short of doing all we can do or expending our own best efforts. Nobody ever does their best for a whole day, never mind a lifetime. So we fall short, we make mistakes. Now we know that no unclean thing can dwell with God, and we know that each of us have sinned and are unclean. And so essentially we find ourselves having fallen short of, of that glory that is needed to be in the celestial kingdom. So because many of us think that this Second Nephi 25:23 or the Bible Dictionary discuss the fact that grace can only come in after we do all that we can, then a lot of members of the church become depressed and discouraged. They want to give up. And I myself have felt that at times. I, I had a time before I kind of got myself on to this whole understanding the plan of salvation better. And I even like the term plan of redemption. And you'll see why here as we go forward. So the understanding of Second Nephi 25, 23 is incorrect. And the after has many meaning, meanings. 
It can also be translated um, as notwithstanding or in spite of all that we can do. And so those types of things get, uh, get said. So if we read 2 Nephi 25-23, it says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren to believe in Christ, and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. In other words, in spite of all that we do, it is grace that saves us and reconciles us to God. It's by our believing in Christ that this grace comes in. Now, for those who uh, don't necessarily think that that's the right interpretation, Alma chapter 24, verse 11 says, And now behold, my brethren, since it has been all that we could do, as we were the most lost of all mankind, to repent of all of our sins and the many murders which we have committed, and to get God to take them away from our hearts. For it was all we could do to repent sufficiently before God that he would take away our stain. And so it certainly is plausible to see the all we can do is we can repent when we fall short. Beyond that, there's no way we'll ever be able to truly expend our own best efforts or do all we can do in, in terms of good works and good deeds. So we ought to see this a little differently. So moving on, Ether 12.27 says the following. And the reason I bring out this scripture is because so many of us think that the fact that we fall short each day and we just can't do it and we get frustrated with ourselves because we keep falling down. And so listen to this. Ether 12.27 says, And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And so the question is, who gives us the weakness? Who who has formulated us as a natural man or natural human being who has some disposition to make bad choices and who falls down and who will find it, at least on our own power, impossible to be perfect? It was God. Our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, made us a natural man. Yes, there's the fall, but all of this is part of the plan of salvation. So why did God give us weakness? So that we may be humble. Why does He make us humble? Hear it again. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. And so it's by our being humble that we turn ourselves to Christ. By turning ourselves to him and his atonement, we then can take on his mercy and his grace. By doing that, Christ's mercy and grace then makes weak things become strong. It's an important thing to see. Now, if we were to turn to, in fact we will, we'll turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9. And so I'll give you just a second here uh, to turn to that if you want to. Kind of follow along with me. I think it makes it a little more uh, educational to do it that way. A little more insightful if you've got the scriptures in front of you. But in Second Nephi, or Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, New Testament, Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, and starting in verse 7, and Paul here is talking about 
what the Lord did to prevent Paul from being prideful. So when Paul talks about being exalted, he's talking about pride coming in. So here he says, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there were given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, Heavenly Father has allowed the adversary to tempt and give challenges and trials to Paul. These measures were taken so that Paul would not get too caught up in his own pride and begin boasting and that he would realize that he needs to be humble. See, what's the opposite of being um, exalted above measure or being prideful? It's about, it's about being humbled. And so he has this um, thorn given to him in the flesh. It then says in verse 8, it says, For this thing I, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. So, Paul here, on three different occasions, pleads with the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh. But the Lord doesn't do that. In verse 9, And he said unto me, in other words, Paul's saying, this is what Jesus told me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, it goes right along with Ether 12.27. Paul finishes up, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. We ought to recognize that our weaknesses, whatever they are, whether we are talking uh, a tendency to addiction, whether we are talking about different temporal or spiritual struggles, might we recognize that many of these things are given to us to make us humble. When we're humble, we turn to Christ. We become teachable. We become like little children. When we're teachable, Christ can impart to us his grace and mercy. And then, in our weakness, we can be strong. Hear Paul at the end. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That's a beautiful scripture. And so that's Second Corinthians chapter 12. I think it's 7 through 10. Many in the church want to have a value placed on works. They will say things that tend to say, my good works have merit in my salvation, or I am earning my salvation. I am paying part of the debt that my, that my sins incurred. But we need to be careful. Helaman chapter 14, verse 13. Alma chapter 24, verse 10. Moroni chapter 6 verse 4, and Doctrine and Covenants section 3, verse 20, and also 2 Nephi 31, 19. And there are a lot of those, and there are a lot more that I didn't mention here. So, each of these scriptures say this. So, Alma 24, 10 says, And I also thank my God, yea, my great God, that he hath granted unto us that we might repent of these things, and also that he hath forgiven us of those are many sins and murders which we have committed and taken away our guilt from our hearts through the merits of his Son. In fact, just to follow up, another one is Helaman, chapter 14, verse 13, And if ye believe on his name, you will repent of your sins, that thereby ye may have a remission of them through his merits. Throughout the scriptures, we are told it is not by our merits, but by his. It is the merits of Christ. We don't pay the debt. We don't, we don't do that. The debt is incurred by us because we sin. But it's only through Christ's merits that the debt gets paid. 
Now, that doesn't take away the things we have to do. We've got things to do. But it has nothing to do with paying the debt. Many evangelical Christians will want to step in here, and they'll want to imply that, hey, that's right, works have no meaning. We just need to accept Christ, and then we can be saved. Now, that's not what I believe, and that's not what I'm trying to share with you. But to at least take this one step further, Alma chapter 22, verse 14, the very opening of it, And since man had fallen, he could not merit anything of himself. The scripture then goes on to talk about how Christ suffered for them, atoned for their sins, so that through faith and repentance and so forth, that he breaketh the bands of death and the grave shall have no victory. The debt is 100% ours, but it is paid 100% by Jesus Christ. We have to understand that. It is essential. So, what I'm not saying, like some evangelicals say, that only one need believe and then thou art saved. I'm not saying that. Rather, we must get in our heads that keeping commandments, accepting ordinances, doing good works are all required and necessary. But they are in place to push us to grow, to progress, and through Christ's grace to receive the mighty change spoken of in Alma chapter 5. Also, we place value on outside behavior, but God looketh on the heart. Three, or Helaman 3.35 says, in it, it says something along the lines of, It is our yielding our hearts to God that brings sanctification, a.k.a. the mighty change. You see, in the temple interview, one of the questions that we are asked is about our testimony regarding the role of Jesus Christ as a Savior and as a Redeemer. And sometimes we want to lump that together. We just want to assume that Savior and Redeemer is essentially asking one question. But it's not. You see, the Savior saves us from our sins. He cleanses us. His mercy washes us clean if we use the atonement. So he's a, he is a Savior. But Jesus Christ is also a Redeemer. He redeems us from our fallen state. If you can picture it as in you falling in a hole because of your sin, as Savior, Jesus Christ lifts you up out of the hole and sets you back on land. But then as Redeemer, he comes in and lifts you up higher to become celestial or heavenly. Now in this life, we're told in the scriptures, in, for instance, Moses chapter 6, verse 60, for by the water ye keep the commandment, by the Spirit ye are justified, and by the blood ye are sanctified. There are multiple scriptures that talk about being justified and sanctified in order to live with our Father in Heaven again in the celestial kingdom. To be justified is to accept the role of Jesus Christ as Savior. But there's other ways to be justified. So, to be justified, one could keep the law perfectly. We talked about this. Only Jesus did it. So sorry, none of us passed the test on this one. Two, we can live the gospel. We can press forward with steadfastness. We can accept the ordinances. We can exercise faith. And we can repent when we fall short. That, by utilizing the gospel and being in gospel covenant, will justify us. But if we choose neither of those two paths, and again the first one was impossible, then we're left to D&C 19, 15-18, which says that we, where Christ commands us to repent, otherwise we must suffer as he has suffered which has caused the greatest of all to tremble and bleed from every pore. So if we do not use the gospel or live the gospel or keep the law perfectly, which we are, none of us are going to do, 
then we're going to have to suffer for our own sins. Now that will justify us. That will make us clean so that we can stand before the judgment bar of God. But it will not sanctify us, which is to change us. If we look at Doctrine and Covenants 88.21, it says that we must be sanctified to live in the celestial kingdom. And if we are not sanctified, we will have to live in a lesser kingdom. Sanctification comes with, from yoking with Christ and using his grace or enabling power to change. Referring back kind of to Ether 12.27. This change will happen over this life and also into the eternities. And for many uh, who would have done so here, they'll have an opportunity there to accept this gospel, to accept its ordinances, and to then press forward with steadfastness towards Christ. Perfection is an eternal goal. I'm almost assured it will not occur in this life. Other than Jesus, I don't know that anybody in this life even dies perfect, more or less acts perfect throughout it. So how do we access Christ's grace? Grace comes in as soon as we exercise faith. You see, there are the first principles and ordinances of the gospel, and there are other life-saving ordinances that are received in the temple. So faith, repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost, enduring to the end, which comes by pressing forward with steadfastness, repenting, and to keep trying to live the gospel the best you can. And by going through that process, as soon as we exercise the very first step of faith, grace enters in. And then his grace is at work in our life perfecting us. The scriptures talk about grace being added to grace. The scriptures also talk, talk about being fa- or falling from grace. And so we need to remember in Alma chapter 5, I believe it is, where Alma says something along the lines of, Now if you have ever sung the song of redeeming love, I would ask, do you feel it now? And what he's asking is, is if you have ever felt grace enable you and change you and help you to have the countenance of Christ upon you and to um, have your heart swell or your soul expand, as he talks about in that chapter, that if you've had that, if you felt that, did you simply stand still and not continue to press forward to the point where you no longer are feeling it? In other words, you really can't stand still in the gospel. You're either moving forward or backward. And if you're standing still, you're moving backward. If you don't use it, you lose it. And that's how grace is. And so if you keep continue to live in the gospel covenant, you continue to add grace to grace. If you try to simply be, kind of stay at a plateau or become uh, lulled into thinking that all is well and you just simply stay where you're at, or if you openly rebel against God, then you're going to fall from grace. In other words, you're going to lose the grace that you've gotten. We can't stand still. We have to press forward. We have to keep pushing. So to be perfected in Christ, we yoke with him in the baptismal covenant. In the baptismal covenant, we essentially promise God, and some people will say we promise God to take upon his name, to stand as a witness of him, to um, remember him always, and that when we do these things and keep his commandments, and when we do these things, then his spirit will be with us. But the interesting thing is, if you look at Mosiah chapter 18, it doesn't talk about doing those things. It talks about being willing to do those things. So we need to stay in this gospel covenant, and it involves willing. 
We've talked about Mosiah 18 and that word being used, but it's not the only place where that's found. If we also look at the bread prayer and the sacrament, and then look at the water prayer and the sacrament, you'll notice two major differences. The bread prayer mentions that we need to keep the commandments. The water prayer does not do that. It leaves that out. The bread prayer also uses the word willing, and the water prayer does not. And what I'm offering here is that if you had to make a covenant each week in sacrament, that you would keep the commandments, and thereby you'd have his spirit to be with you. The Lord is bound in his end of the covenant, but the problem is you can't keep the commandments perfectly. Remember that. You can't keep the law. So the moment you walk out of church, you have a a bad thought that you think about a second too long. Perhaps you're not exactly honest when someone asks you a question. Maybe you do something that breaks some other commandment. And sure, you can repent, but you didn't keep the commandments. And so therefore, God is no longer bound to keep his spirit with you. But what if we change that? What if we say, you are willing to keep the commandments. And if you're willing to keep the commandments, then his spirit will be with you. Now, willing only means we have a desire in our hearts. That we want to go that way. That's what we want. It is to have a perfect brightness of hope. And so, understanding it that way, all of a sudden you say, you know what? I can now keep the spirit with me through the week. Yes, I've got to make mistakes. I've got to repent. But because I'm willing to, to do these things, I'm going to repent anyway. It's a natural extension of those, those emotional feelings or standards. In the gospel, we promise to be willing to do things. And as long as we repent when we fall short, God promises his spirit to be with us. It's important to understand that. So often, we simply don't understand the gospel in its pureness. In this gospel covenant with Christ that we keep... We get to borrow his perfection. It's kind of like a marriage relationship. Stephen Robinson talks about this. And I believe Robert Millet also speaks of this. And so Jesus is infinitely perfect. And yet we are imperfect. And so if we turn to Moroni, chapter 10, verses 32 to 33. And this is, this is Moroni's... Finishing up testimony. This is just beautiful. This essentially just locks on the whole process. 32 starts off, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. Okay, so first off, come unto Christ. We do that by exercising faith. We do that if it's offered to us by accepting baptism by one having authority. The moment we make that gospel promise to him and we get baptized, we have become perfected in him. In other words, we get to borrow his perfection. So even though we're imperfect, we are living in a saved condition. We have been saved by grace. Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. And deny yourselves of all ungodliness. This is a process, brothers and sisters. This doesn't mean the moment you make a covenant with God, you automatically get rid of all bad things in your life. You no longer have a disposition to do evil. You cannot even look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. It is not saying that, although that is the goal. What it is saying is that this is a process. You come unto Christ, you get perfected in him through the covenant, you then spend the rest of your life denying yourself of all ungodliness, little by little going through the refiner's fire. Moroni continues, he says, And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, 
that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ. Do you see? You first come unto him and you get perfected in him. Then you go through the refiner's fire, and someday at some future moment, because of his grace being sufficient, you shall actually be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God you are perfect in Christ, you can in no wise deny the power of God. And again, if ye by the grace of God are perfect in Christ and deny not his power, then are ye sanctified in Christ. In other words, changed because of the atonement by the grace of God. Through the shedding of the blood of Christ, which is in the covenant of the Father, unto the remission of your sins, that ye become holy without spot. You need to be justified and sanctified and this sanctification comes by us going through the refiner's fire, living the gospel, and then having his grace, which is sufficient, change us. So, in wrapping up, if we were to go on to LDS.org and look at the index, and then look up grace, it gives this definition, and I will include this in with the podcast. It says grace. Grace is the help or strength given through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the grace of God, everyone who has lived will be resurrected. Our spirits will be united with our bodies, never again to be separated. Through his grace, the Lord also enables those who live his gospel to repent and be forgiven. Grace is a gift from Heavenly Father given through his Son, Jesus Christ. The word grace, as used in the scriptures, refers primarily to the enabling power, to enabling power and spiritual healing offered through the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. Everyone on earth experiences physical death. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, all mankind will be resurrected and will live forever. Because of personal choices, everyone also experienced the effects of sin. These effects are called spiritual death. No one can return to the presence of God without divine grace. Through the atonement, we all can be forgiven of our sins. We can become clean before God. To receive this enabling power, we must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes having faith in him, repenting of our sins, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and trying to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. The grace of God helps us every day. It strengthens us to do good works we could not do on our own. And the Lord promised that if we humble ourselves before Him and have faith in Him, His grace will help us overcome all our personal weaknesses. So, if we compare this definition with the Bible Dictionary, we will find a big difference, at least in my mind. It may, it may seem small to some, but where on the one hand we have to expend our own best efforts, on the other hand we're told to try and follow the teachings of Jesus Christ for the rest of our lives. That certainly seems like a softer, more loving approach. It also gives much more room for, for lots of other people to, to find their way back to Heavenly Father. And for those Latter-day Saints who want to take credit for their works and see that as having merit in their salvation, it finished there in that last part. It said, great, referring to grace, it strengthens us to do good works we could not do on our own. If you didn't do the good works on your own, it was grace that helped you do them. 
then you don't get credit for it anyway. So perhaps your works do have merit, but the merit is Christ, because he's the one whose grace helped you do those good works, because on your own, you couldn't do them. I hope that each of you have a great day today. I hope that you benefited from hearing my thoughts on grace. And I'd like to finish with a scripture out of the, uh, out of the Book of Mormon. It is found in 2 Nephi, chapter 4. And this is referred to often by Nephi as the Psalm of Nephi. And so I hope that as we read this, uh, we, might, we might see where Nephi, uh, his feelings were. So Nephi, essentially this is just after his father dies. If you read up to this point, you get the feeling like Nephi is always making the right choice. He never does anything wrong. He's always painting himself in, in this great light. And so we sometimes come to expect that Nephi is this perfect person, or near it. But so far from the truth, after his father dies and is buried, Nephi has this this moment of a real low time, and yet still there's this huge positive that comes out of it. Starting in verse 17. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord and showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am, yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh, my soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. What I would like to finish with is this. Many of us as Latter-day Saints are trusting in our works. But God has never told us to do that, and neither has his church. We must trust in the Savior 100%. It is by his merits. In 2 Nephi chapter 31, verse 19, and this talks about the doctrine of Christ, and it begins this way. It says, And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into this straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for ye have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him, relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. We must rely completely, entirely, wholly upon the merits of Christ. It is only by the merits, mercy, and grace of Christ that we can be both justified and sanctified, that we can be both saved and redeemed. And I bear that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.